There was a time when we were one unified point of consciousness, a singularity that in fractions of a second exploded in a big bang. Since then, life has been evolving exponentially, accelerating. Roughly two million years ago, we started using tools and technologies to extend our abilities. As life continues to evolve exponentially, the Two Parts podcast explores the opportunities of modern day tools and technologies as part of our greater becoming. Welcome. Two Parts podcast is a production of I Am Connected, a digital platform dedicated to the evolution of consciousness. Check us out at IamConnected.com. Today's guest is Dr. Katerina Wallace. I first met Kat back in July when I attended a technology and meditation event she was hosting in Byron Bay. The event brought together around 40 people. Half were leaders of spiritual communities, the other half were technologists. The two-day event was exploring the intersection between technology and consciousness. It was awesome. Dr. Katerina Wallace, she's an inspirational human being with a depth of experience in technology with a particular uh, focus on artificial intelligence, Web3 and the metaverse. She also has a passion for consciousness. Our conversation unfolds beautifully as we explore everything from the risks associated with artificial intelligence and the large corporations that are leading that and the opportunities around psychedelics and technology and what we can do as individuals to work towards a future that we can be proud of. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Katarina Wallace as much as I did. Let's jump straight in. Probably not the best time to do what I was going to ask you about Mexico. <laughs> Offline, maybe at the end. We can we can do that. So I'll just jump in and then like I I feel like this is going to be conversational. Um uh, we've got some leading questions that I'll ask you, and ideally uh it will get to where we want to go. Like the two past podcasts, it's about the evolution of technology and humanity and consciousness. Yeah. We're seeing a growing, growing trend um, by large companies investing billions of dollars in the development of the metaverse, which is the, the technology side of things. And what does that mean for like the future of humanity and, and consciousness? And I know you play really well at this intersection. So I'm really inspired to be able to sit down with you for an hour and just have a conversation. But you know, hearing all the, all that you do, I was wondering if you could just sort of go into, go into that, maybe what's inspired to get to that point, like what you've done. I know you had an AI listed, uh, well, an exit on the AXX, ASX, which is pretty profound. If you could just tell us a little bit about your awesomeness and, um, and then we can take, take a conversation from there. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe not my awesomeness, but uh, what I do. Uh, well, well, let's start with what I am or who I am. So I am a woman, I am a mother, I am a grandmother, and I am a medicine woman in training, and I'm sure we'll come to that. Cool. But what I do is uh, I work in the field of emerging tech and I have a number of organizations that I've founded, a market research firm, which is focused on technology research amongst other areas called ACA Research, then a human-centered design firm called Fifth Quadrant. Both of those companies have been going over 15 years now. But the one I'm probably most well known for was I founded one of Australia's first AI companies called Flamingo AI. And I 
ran it out of New, New York because Australia kind of wasn't really ready for AI. That was back in 2013, 2014. And through that process, I learned a lot about ethics and bias in tech and the lack of big corporate tech giants or corporate enterprises understanding about the responsible use of technology or, or ethics in a, in a really disturbing way. So uh, when I exited out of the AI business, I founded another company called Ethical AI Advisory and jumped deeply into the whole field of responsible tech. And uh, that company was merged with the Gradient Institute about a year ago, which was fabulous. And uh, that was around about the same time when Mark Zuckerberg announced uh, that they were changing the company's name from Facebook to Meta and that they were putting on 10,000 workers to build Meta's metaverse. And that was the moment that I knew I would have to steer my interest in responsible tech and AI into responsible metaverse because that's not going to go well if we've got big tech like Meta leading leading the way in this field. So that's kind of my uh, corporate background. And I sit on a number of boards and do other cool things. Uh, and then I'm an, I've got an academic background. So I did a PhD, uh, you finished it ages ago, 2007, which was the role technology plays in replacing human leaders. So I am an adjunct professor at the Australian Graduate School of Management, University of New South Wales, and just finished writing a, a book with a couple of other professors there called Checkmate Humanity, the How and Why of Responsible AI. And then the other side of me is a more spiritual side, which um, has been going since I was in my late 20s, very interested in shamanics, consciousness, spirituality, but mostly Indigenous spirituality. And uh, over the last couple of years I've been uh, in the countries where these things are legal, uh, deeply working with the psychedelic renaissance and with plant medicine. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's an interesting cross section that you have. Obviously, deep in the tech, and then um, being spiritual. It's kind of like spiritual can be a dirty word in the corporate and the in the technology space. But you're you're bringing the two together, which is like my 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 jam as well. Is like really like how do we use technology to help us to evolve, and what are we evolving to? And so, like, I guess an initial question is just like. What inspired you? What inspires you around technology, around AI? Obviously, you've been in this sector before it was even really people knew what mm -hmm. AI was. What, why and what? Like, what inspired you to get go into this field? Yeah, yeah, it's a super interesting question because I never intended to be in this field. I have only ever wanted to be a farmer. That's really what I want to do. Uh, but I was also a police officer, a nightclub owner. I've done a whole bunch, bunch of things. But then found technology you know pretty early um and just fell in love with it and uh, it's almost like i've got a future memory of what transhumanism is going to be like so i'm all about transhumanism where we have technology embedded in our bodies and we have a, a deep integral relationship with technology as a path of evolution for humans i, I really believe that's where we're going and that excites me that feels good to me and so I'm excited to play a role in in that happening yeah and that's that's scary for a lot of people right because um what does that mean um technology 
like you, you pointed to Facebook before, and they haven't necessarily had everyone's best interest or our, our well-being at, uh, at the forefront of all that they do. And so here we are, like, how do we trust these big companies when we're looking at integrating with technology? Now, like I call this podcast the two paths because I see that path, you know, I call it the gray path where we, where we do become transhuman and integrate with technology. But then there's the pink path, which is like, well, how do we use technology to help us to evolve and accentuate our human? Like really like a lot of what technology is doing is, is mirroring like humanity, mirroring nature, like trying to understand nature, like AI to some extent, to a large extent is like the neural networks within our brain. And so, yeah, I guess in that, like there's, there's a lot, like, I guess my question for you is like, how is that the only path moving forward where we integrate with technology and then how do we trust? And I know one of your, the, the companies that you're spearheading in, 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 in the book, Checkmate Humanity is, you know, the responsible alliance for the, for the metaverse, um, Checkmate Humanity. So I can see like how you, you're bringing ethics to that, which is critically important at this juncture where technology is accelerating. Um, exponentially, but also, I guess, an, a subsequent question is like, and this is maybe more tapping back to your spiritual side is can, like, is there a path where we use technology to help us to become without actually becoming the technology? What's your thoughts? Yeah. So look, the first thing, and you've, you've mentioned sort of like uh, trust and these big tech companies who, who really are not only leading the tech field, such as, as Meta or Microsoft or, or Twitter or Fortnite, I don't think we should trust these companies. That's my, my very first thing. I don't think their business models are aligned with the best interests of humanity, society, the environment, organisations or individuals. So I really don't think. I think that's a major, major problem. So I think in that field there's a lot that we need to do to steer it back for the good of humanity. Look, I think there are so many examples of where technology will assist humanity in relieving suffering. So yesterday I did a big talk to 600 financial services people who are, who are interested in personal uh, health and workplace safety, and I, I showed them a video of an AI-based 3D-printed prosthetic limb that uh, can be made for individuals that was so beautifully made and done to have people who are amputees actually have a really functional limb. We know that uh, Google's recent Google Glasses have Google Translator built into them and, and finally Google realised that they should come to market with a socially oriented product rather than a commercially oriented product, so this should probably go better. So for people with uh, hearing impairments, Someone can speak to them, they can have the glasses, they can read what the person is saying. That's a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful thing. People who don't speak the same language can wear these uh, augmented reality glasses and, and then have a communication. There's so much great things that technology can do. So I absolutely believe we will reduce and eliminate diseases. People who are, uh, have disabilities will be greatly assisted to be, to be more able. We will have people with mental health issues, uh, being supported by robots and virtual assistants that 
you know, otherwise they wouldn't have. There is there is so much that we should be excited about and then so much that we should be terrified about. Yeah. And like in that, I guess technology as an extension of our existing consciousness and our existing systems. And like, whilst we have got a capitalist system where it's kind of like winner takes all at the moment with some of these big tech companies, it's kind of like they've won this game. Um, and I guess the metaverse is a likely disruption, but they're investing billions in, in, into creating that. So it's, it's an, it's an interesting future. And there's lots like when we say technology, that's a it's a pretty broad brush. And within technology, um, obviously, with the the responsible metaverse alliance, that's the metaverse itself. You know, we're looking at deep tech that's probably not even here yet, but we're looking at um, the VR and networks and and like immersion in in those realities. And then AI is its own thing. And I know you're you're very um, invested in the AI space. You, you're the executive chair of, is it Boab AI? Um, yep. And so it's in a, like an accelerator slash VC fund for AI based startups. And AI, there's like artificial intelligence. And then there's AGI, which is the more like where we, where maybe links back to consciousness, which is like artificial general intelligence. And so that's like, well, can uh, technology actually become sentient? Where do you, where do you think that's going? <laughs> Your thoughts well, on yeah, it got, the question about whether technology can be sentient or have consciousness. And if we, we define that loosely as the machines are aware that they're aware, uh, we had that, little bit of a an excitable moment when the the Google employee uh, Blake Lemoyne, I think it was, mentioned uh, publicly that the the Lambda Google robot uh, was aware that it was aware and it was aware of its own mortality, and then that went viral and went crazy, and people are saying, "Oh, the robots are sentient now." And then there was a whole um, group who were who were championing and petitioning for the rights of this robot to live and it got a bit crazy uh, most of us at the time just came back and said look this isn't sentient this uh, machine has been programmed with the language that it's using it's been programmed to use that language it's it's probably not aware that it's aware it's probably not conscious but it does raise the question can that actually happen now i have a strong view which i've held from my first day many, many years ago in working with AI, that is absolutely ridiculous that we think of software almost as the same species as humanity. So will robots have the same human consciousness? Well, no, obviously, of course not. They're not human. It's not going to be the same consciousness that we have. But will robots have a consciousness of their own Absolutely, yes. No question. That's not far away. And the best way that I think we think about this is we should consider AI is like a new species, a new species on the earth. That's the way we should think about it. So their consciousness is not going to be exactly the same as us and will be lulled into a false sense of security if we keep comparing it to humans. And that's why, like, generally when people are trying to build humanoid 
robots and robots that have emotions and like why are you doing that why are you trying to recreate humans when robots are actually something altogether different that do things much better than humans do and do human things much worse than humans do so let's treat them as their own species yeah that's an interesting take on it um i never actually landed on that but it it makes sense it makes sense um i will just say like as a as a vegan it makes me appreciate that i'm not um feasting on some of the other species on the planet as artificial intelligence becomes more in intelligent and i guess like the the extension of that is that uh like agi as it develops its own consciousness that singularity point where it starts and you know you listen to ray kurtzwell it's 2040 it's mm -hmm. 2030 it's 2045 i'm not exactly sure of the date um it seems to jump around but where the technology's intelligence uh, well it, it starts iterating upon itself like what's what's your thoughts on that yeah i think that's absolutely able to happen and i think in at the moment in the world there's somewhere between five and eight supercomputers slightly worrying that i think meta has the fifth most potent supercomputer in the world that worries me but mm. there are already um super super computing and even ibm watson which would be one of the the supercomputers has been around for a long time now you know it, it, it's a clever machine so i do believe that that point of singularity where the the software the machines no longer need their human masters and perhaps they have surpassed us in some ways in in our intelligence and they have no need necessarily to rely on us anymore i do believe that time will come and you're quite right they the philosophers and the analysts predict it it's somewhere between 2035 to 2050 somewhere in there but it's not too far away so we should be gearing up for that as an, a likely possibility as we should be gearing up that ai currently poses according to the existential risk researchers out of oxford university such as professor toby ord ai poses the most significant existential risk that humanity faces by the end of the century far ahead of nuclear war, climate change, a solar flare, an asteroid hitting us, a pandemic or a bioengineered pandemic, the existential risk community put it at one in 10 chance that AI will be the number one risk that humanity faces this century. So as far as I'm concerned, we just we need to pay attention to that mm. and not dismiss it. Yeah. And hence the work that you're doing with uh, your book, Checkmate Humanity, like how and why of responsible AI, responsible metaverse alliance. Can you tell us a little bit about like why that work is important now, particularly, you know, off the back of the conversation that we just had, had leading into this future where we are, these technologies are really powerful. Yeah. So the responsible AI, let's start there. So AI, fastest growing tech sector in the world, valued at US $327 billion this year. This this will uh, at least double in the next, you know, three to five years. It's um, growing very, very rapidly. Uh, the World Economic Forum predicts that 85 million jobs will be replaced by AI in the next two years and 92 million jobs will be created by AI. Of the, of the 85 million jobs that will be removed, 
90% of those jobs are the jobs of women, children, and the vulnerable. Mm. And the 92 million jobs are obviously not going to be the jobs that the 85 million can get. So we're going to see for the first, really the first time in history, we think a mass displacement of workers and a serious conversation about the universal basic income needing to come in as AI starts to automate jobs. So that that is one um, one of the challenges that we're facing where we need governments and organisations to start paying attention and getting ready to retrain these workers who will be displaced by AI. So that's yep. one of the kind of responsible things we need to do. But the other core thing to note, and not everybody does realise this, is that there's no law that governs AI. There's no regulation of AI, the technology itself. And there is certainly in the domains that the AI might be used in, so whether it's government or telecommunications or financial services, there are certainly existing uh, regulations that a company who are using AI in their field would have to adhere to, but the AI itself is, is not regulated. So the fact that uh, social media companies use uh, automated uh, al algorithms to be serving up content of a right-wing nature to young men or or uh, negative body images to young women there's no there's no law that regulates the algorithms and that's a big problem and the reason for that is at least twofold one is that government tends to be about five years behind where the tech community is in how uh, mature the tech is and the government tries do good work there. And I, I work with a number of the ministers over the last five years and currently uh, almost on a daily basis and commissioners around how do we regulate. It's a long way off. There is an e EU draft legislation being circulated and the Biden just released an AI Bill of Rights. So there's getting more policy around it, but there's nothing actually. When I was building my AI um platform with my team, nothing that regulated us. So, so that means it's kind of a bit of a, a wild west. And then the second core reason is the AI um, development is really being led by the tech giants. And as we talked about before, the business model around doing something ethically and responsibly doesn't align to their business models of revenue. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have no, there's no leadership here. There's just no leadership. And so my call to just general society and to business people and to everyone is we need, each of us need to step into being ethical leaders because we're not going to get leadership in this um, regard from these other uh, government or tech. And so that's with AI, right? So the AI train has left the station. It's going to be very, very difficult for a company like Meta who has 19,000 algorithms, 1,800 plus data scientists to retrofit a responsible and ethical AI framework to their work. And, so, and just on that, like, I guess as the average Joe, like the concern there is um, their business model is selling advertising and they want me, whatever, whatever shows up in my feed to be relevant. And so they're feeding me things that are relevant to my cognitive bias. I've seen, an interview with Yuval Noah Harari and Mark Zuckerberg, and he he was calling Mark out and saying that 
well, these algorithms are becoming so sophisticated, tracking likes, tracking scrolls, where you stop, eye movement, even, uh, and, and, and similar. And there's, there's the opportunity for like Facebook to plant stuff in a person's feed and based on how the brain works, that stuff could be, that, that content could be placed months in advance, which could then lead towards generating an idea, these algorithms becoming this, this level of sophistication. And you will think that you had the idea, but it was only because Facebook actually put that in your feed, which has led you to think and believe a certain thing. And so the, and marketing for like a hundred years has been influencing people, but that level of influence and has become increasingly more sophisticated and it's, it's to the point where it's actually in our heads now. And so that's, that's a threat, right? And as this technology continues to increase in its sophistication, well, then that threat becomes even more real. And then, then, uh, like black mirror kind of things where like, where people are, um, having, you know, their, the consciousness locked in virtual <laughs> torture kind of things that you can see how there's a, could be a very dystopian future. If, if that business model and these people, there's no like awareness around like how we're actually applying these technologies. So it's, it's, it's so important the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And just picking up on what you very accurately described there, that's why we've set up in July this year, 2022, the Responsible Metaverse Alliance, because now that the metaverse is upon us and we, we still even haven't got our arms around Web 2.0 and AI, what we need is immediately to start working on regulation and policy and legislation for the metaverse because just as you talked about that level of engagement that you can have in social media, put that just at scale in a fully immersive environment in mm. a virtual reality-led metaverse and you will absolutely see much more damage being being done to individuals. And we see that Meta just this week, uh, Meta Connect is the part of the business that communicates what they're doing in the metaverse, are releasing their next headsets. And those headsets are much more expensive now. They're around $1,500. The, and is the, the extension, or this is the next iteration from the Quest? Correct. The next... Um, version of the quest but most of the reviews have not been terribly favorable about them however what they are doing is they're starting to monitor many more of our biological um, signposts such as our eye, eye movement um, uh, emotion whether we smile our facial gestures and movements in order they say so that the avatars can have a more realistic facial expression, but what they're really doing is also monitoring how we're reacting to something. So even when we don't know that we're smiling at something that we're looking at, there's you know that that subconscious part of us might be doing that. The tech they giants will be monitoring that and then using that to serve us up other things to get our attention. So that's nice if it's like I want a new. Um, uh, what, you know, a new handbag or something, great, like that might be useful. But what if it's serving up some 
you know, right-wing terrorist yeah. group yeah. Um, enrollment. Or just somebody's agenda that's not free will or not, yeah. not your own. Yeah, it's like control. Yeah. And, like, this is coming, right? I And it's not going to go away because this is where the investment's happening. But then even at a micro level, my daughter, she's eight, and she just loves Roblox and yeah. um, wants me to play Adopt Me with her. And so we jump on the phones at the moment and, and we play Roblox. We play Adopt Me together. And and she, she's she got her own little side hustle where she sells stuff and she gets money for it. And you know what she spends her money on? Her, her three-dimensional reality money on? Robux, like virtual, yeah. to buy virtual goods, you know, like, and she's eight and she's growing up with this. Like uh -huh. metaverse, what, whatever, the metaverse is five, what, maybe 10 years away, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Some people say it's already here, but the full immersion like, is, is probably a little while away, but she'll, she'll grow up with that. Now kids will grow up with this. So like buying virtual goods with is just going to be, of course, that's what you're doing. And so this is not going away. This is where it's headed. And, and I think like, it's that it's like, well, how do we bring, how do we do this in such a way that it helps us to evolve and become something more than just like um, somebody else's puppet that's being manipulated. Like we mm -hmm. were just talking about, like that's, and I can see that's why I'm just so drawn to you and I appreciate you so much because I can see that's the work, that's the future that you're trying to create with these um, different organizations doing this lobby work. Did I, cut, did I cut you off before when you were saying two things? Not sure, but I do have a really cool stat for you based on you cool. mentioning what your daughter does. So um, I was reading the other day, so there was a question about uh, who is a cosmetic company in the world that has the highest revenue for selling cosmetics, right? So if I was asked that, I'd go, oh, it's L'Oreal, uh, Clinique, Clarence, um, a Chanel, something like that. But actually it's Fortnite. So Fortnite sells virtual cosmetics and i think the number is something like they sell three billion dollars worth of virtual cosmetics a year wow which yeah. is like, which is crazy and i think it like when i i was listening to the metaverse book and he says in there um i think it's like 80 percent of us kids play roblox yeah. um like the stats are really really high 200 million users yeah and so that's like Roblox and um, Minecraft and, and Fortnite, these gaming uh, companies are sort of like the, they're on the preface of the, the metaverse becoming uh, like those gaming engines are going to be at the heart of building out the functionality for us all to hang out and play in the metaverse. Is that right? Yeah. So if we look at who are the leaders in, the metaverse space at the moment it is the gaming companies and the social media companies and then the new entrants who are doing like sandbox and decentraland who are doing virtual land and real estate although there was a report uh recently released that showed that even though these virtual real estate metaverses have huge valuations over a billion dollars they actually got a very very small um, active user base, like tiny, tiny active user base. So I think there's probably some explosions to come uh, when the the values and the actual users and engagement and the business models don't 
don't show up uh, very well. But yeah, if you think about this, as we said before, no government, no rules, no police. And and I do spend, I'm spending a lot of time with assistant police commissioners in Australia and New Zealand at the moment, Department of Home Affairs, Department of Internal Affairs in both countries, talking about how do we police the metaverse. Um, we think about who's, who's leading it and building it. It's the gaming companies and it's the, the social media tech giants. Like, how's that all going to go? Yeah, well. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, two paths. Like it could be, it could be nasty, or it could be like, like. I guess the, what what's what's a utopian future look like for you in that? Yeah. So look, I love this technology, and I love virtual reality, augmented reality, metaverse. So I, I do believe it will come. There's no question. We and we probably see augmented reality coming first before full. Uh, adoption of virtual reality. I think the the level, the number of headsets of virtual reality in the world is only like 10 million have been sold. 80% of those are by Meta, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but it it, uh, it will come. And I'm hoping to see companies like Apple release their, they will, we believe, go into augmented reality first, release their augmented reality glasses and operating platform within the next 12 months. It's possibly even within the next six months. And that's where we'll see some of these technologies starting to enter mainstream. And I think that's really cool. Augmented reality is really cool. It's much less dangerous than virtual reality. And I think that will come in and be, you know, almost commonplace within the next 12 months. And that has a pretty utopian outlook. You know, augmented reality can help in a lot of things, just being a layer of information over anything you do. I recently came back from uh, Barcelona and I went to the Gaudi Museum and did with Microsoft HoloLens, which is augmented reality, did a, a virtual tour actually in the museum and it was amazing. It was so beautiful. It was like normally I go through a museum and I go, Oh, yeah, look at that, look at that, look at that. And I'd be done in an hour and I'd be out and I wouldn't have studied everything. But with the HoloLens on, I was fully immersed in every exhibition because I could touch it and move things and, and see Gaudi in person walking around and paint things on the roof. It was just extraordinary. I was fully immersed in every part of the exhibition. I would have stayed there all day. So we're going to see beautiful beautiful things in education, in the arts, in entertainment, in in healthcare, in travel and tourism. These are going to be utopian. They really are. Where we see the dystopian side comes from the, as we talked about before, the engagement of individuals or groups in a way that's not conducive to their well-being. Yeah. And we, we're talking about things such as having virtual spokes people in the metaverse who are when brands have an avatar in the metaverse and the avatar's purpose is to find and engage people and to encourage them or conjole them or persuade them to do, to do certain things or to buy certain things. Now, one of the, in the Responsible Metaverse Alliance, one of the first bits of policy regulation we are interested in is regulating the fact when brands have avatars that it is very transparent that the avatar is either an automated AI-driven avatar or it is a human avatar because at the moment 
you could hardly tell the difference whether something is a, a robot avatar or a or a human avatar. And so that's where some of the dystopia comes from. And then fascinating my work with the police, with crime stoppers, with cybersecurity, Department of Internal Affairs, is the fact that there is no jurisdiction in the metaverse, right? So if someone commits a crime in the metaverse, first of all, there's no real laws. And a quick example of this, there's um, a guy called Rutgers who owned land in, I think he was in Sandbox, and he used to, you know, put on, oh, no, actually you don't need virtual reality to go into to sandbox or decentralized, but he, he would go to his virtual home, his virtual land, and he had a virtual home um, after he finished his work and enjoyed time in his virtual home. One day he turned up and there was a squatter, a virtual squatter in his virtual home, and he went, whoa, dude, what are you doing here? This is my my home in this land. And the squatter said, oh, well, you're not here all the time, so I've moved in. And he said, well, you know, you can't be squatting in my, in my property. And he said, well, you know, get me out. And... And he said, and, and by the way, whilst you're here, I may as well tell you too, not only am I squatting here, but when you're not here and I'm not here, I rent it out to other people as well. And so Rutgers went, oh, I've got a virtual squatter who's doing like virtual Airbnb with my property. How do I get this guy out? So who does he go to in the metaverse? Mm, no one. And then he went to Stanford University and went to the head professor of law there and said, I've got a squatter who's renting out my virtual property in the metaverse what legislation is there that um, ties to this? And the professor said, <laughs> pretty much nothing. There's nothing, mm -hmm. there's no law there. Right? So we've got just general uh, challenges like that. So what are the laws? And then policing. So this is a conversation I have with the police. Okay, so somebody commits a crime in the metaverse and you've got a police, you know, a New South Wales police officer in the metaverse working through and it's an African person who the crime has happened to, and the African person runs up to you and says, oh, this crime has been committed against me. Well, whose jurisdiction is that? So, Because there's no national, state, international borders or boundaries in the metaverse. It's a whole other world. So the police are just getting their heads around, is it even in our jurisdiction? Is it even our charter? How are we going to police for this? Yeah, there's lots to be figured out yet. Obviously, the laws and um, policies haven't even, they're not even in place yet. And so it's likely to be the Wild West for a, a little while. Um, so a few things came up that I just want to touch on is like, so AR, uh, augmented reality. So the thing is that like for people listening, that's like Google Glass, um, that's like maybe contact lenses that you would put onto your eye and similar that would yes. overlay um an experience and so museums one thing what what's what's how do you see that practically looking for the day-to-day -day person like say someone like me oh. that's committed to personal development growth and becoming what i can becoming become is that like what, what's the practical applications for someone like me mm, uh, lots of things so let's say we're at a time where uh, augmented reality glasses are more common and and more organizations have layers of information over what they're doing or what product they have or what service they have. So we put the glasses on, we can walk down the street and look at buildings or look at products or look at uh, magazines and, and get another layer of information that we, mm. we might need. 
if we were trying to work on something or fix something, so let's say my computer breaks down and I don't know how to fix it, I might be from the from the company that from the computer um, producer, they send me a video, I follow the video on my glass, I fix it, or if I'm needing to fix my car or do something else. We know John Hopkins University now using augmented reality glasses for surgeons to do operations to be guided mm. by another surgeon in another country who might be more experienced at the operation. Uh, there's lots of things. On, on my augmented reality glasses, I use Vuzik V-U-Z-I-X blade glasses, and you can get Netflix. <laughs> simple. I get Netflix on, on it, so I can just be walking down the road, you know, if I chose to, watching Netflix or, or just put them on in the plane and watch Netflix just in my glasses rather than somewhere else. So education, uh, more immersive education. So instead of just reading things, we can start to see videos that's, that we want to do for self-development. We can listen to podcasts. We can do all sorts of things in the glasses that we'd be doing in other ways. I could bring up your LinkedIn profile and know a lot about you in conversation right. before coming and approaching you at a networking event. Right. I like that yeah. one. Also, um, like, uh, I've caught up with Nicole Bradford from Transformative Tech, who I'd love to connect you to. I think you, mm -hmm. you both would have an amazing conversation. Kindred spirits. Um, we're talking about like transformative tech and applying technology in a similar way, but it's almost like the technology could uh, help us to, there's a series on, I'll look back to that, but a series on Disney at the moment called Supernatural I've been watching with my daughter, where you've got all these animals with all these supernatural abilities that they've evolved with, but we haven't because we didn't need them for survival. They did. Like being able to hear like a bat and smell like a dog and, you know, see different strains of the, of the light spectrum. And so potentially like things like, augmented reality could give us these supernatural powers that other animals have that we don't retap us back into that, that we, uh, evolution evolved out for us. Yeah. So a, a nice way to think about it is the concept of sort of a brain or a mind extension. And mm. what people don't realize is that we already have that. So our mobile phones, our smartphones are already an extension of our brains. So for example, I don't know any of the phone numbers of my children or my partner anymore. Like once upon a time, I knew everybody's phone number off my heart. I, I don't know. I have to look it up to find out what their phone numbers are because my brain no, needs, no longer needs to carry that information. It's in the computer, which is in my hand. So we've already got a brain extension going on there. Augmented reality, virtual reality, again, an extension of our brains and our minds. When we go a little bit further following down the AI track, we do also know that Elon Musk has invested in Neuralink, which is a, mm. a, a real brain extension where there's a chip in your brain that then now is wireless into a computer and it'll follow some of the things that you're thinking and produce it on the, on the computer. So the, again, the big AI analysts and philosophers predict that within 10 years, these brain chip and extensions will be uh, commonplace for us. And that's the one that frightens most people. Mm. There's an, it'll come. There's no way that that won't come. It's already exists now in its early stage. This is going to be super useful for mm. us and extremely disturbing. 
And this is where we get into transhuman where, uh, and why would you want to become transhuman? Because you become superhuman abilities. You, to, to some extent, you become like a God because you'll have access to powers that you didn't have as a normal human. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's wonderful if it's to be used for good. For good. For good yeah. For our well-being and our growth. Within Transtech, we use the, um, like well-being as a spectrum, mental health, where a lot of people are challenged at the moment into well-being, but that's not the end. Just being happy is not the end. Then it's like performance, human performance, human potential. And then where technology can take us is the potential beyond human. And for me, like that's interesting in a consciousness conversation, because then it's like, are we actually human or are we consciousness itself? And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this is that, you know, since the big bang, there was, you know, 14 billion years ago, there was an explosion and life's been evolving since then. Four and a half billion years ago, the, the earth formed and then eventually single celled organisms, multicellular organisms, and then, you know, early humans, 4 million years ago, homo sapiens, just 300,000 years ago, we've been on this planet, which is a very short time in this form mm-hmm. life, life more so modern civilization, 12 and a half million years, uh, 12 and a half thousand years. Sorry. And is like, the question is, to what extent is like being over identified with this human form, a limitation for what we may become with technology if done in the right way? Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. And this is where, and uh, you're already aware, Troy, because you did join us for our tech and humanity meditation, where we had a whole lot of spiritual shamanic, medicine people and a whole lot of technologists together and both parties initially were sort of a bit suspicious of each other and there's a couple like you and I who walk between the two worlds and at the end of that weekend there was a much greater um, synergy and, and understanding and appreciation of each other but we do know that the the spiritualists um, are all about we need to hang on to what we are now and go back mm. to earth and back to mother Gaia and, and I also believe that there's a lot that we need to do back to the earth, but we can't stop there because I, I don't, well, I don't believe we can stop there because I do believe that we are consciousness having a human experience at, at this point of time in these human manifestations, but as consciousness continues to learn and grow and evolve itself, then things will change and probably change quite dramatically. So I would suggest that, even within a hundred years, we would think back, you know, you and I might not be around, but those listeners who will be, and think about this time we're in now as being quite quaint, but still barbaric, Mm. and how we're living in the future will be vastly different. Because we also believe that technology, uh, and I, I invest in a psychedelic biotech company, there's psychedelic metaverse companies, there's consciousness, AI companies, technology can help us access other levels of consciousness and realms in a different but similar way to perhaps using plant medicine or psychedelics does. And I think this will help us expand our consciousness. Yeah. 
Well, for millions of years, we've used technology as an extension of our abilities, and here we are just with more sophisticated technologies doing that. Looping back, one thing that we were talking about before was um, like the safety concerns around um, like the, the metaverse and people's ability to be able to influence us. And like a lot of the work that I do with I Am Connected is really teaching people how to shift their identification from the narrative, which is the story in their head, mm. the, the conversation that's playing flat out that people can put, put stuff in and influence to more of a connection to wholeness, the greater sense of connection to all things. And, and it's in that, that I really do feel like a greater sense of connection to consciousness itself, as opposed to the story. And I feel like it's a necessary shift. I appreciate your thoughts on this, because this is my, my, my awareness is this is a necessary transition, because if we have our identity rooted in being the taxi driver or the artist or the, the role that we are playing, we're going to suffer. Whereas mm -hmm. if we have our identity more connected into wholeness, knowing that I am part of life evolving, life becoming, then it becomes exciting and it becomes play to be able to use what is, what is emerging. Um, and I know that, you know, you obviously very, have a strong affinity for spirituality and consciousness as well. And I'd love to sort of talk more about your aspirations as a medicine woman in the making, but what's your thoughts on, on that identity shift as a, mm. as a necessary step to help protect ourselves from those which may want to manipulate and control us? Yeah. It's so timely that you mentioned that because I'm all up in a deep in process about the concept of identity and I'll, and I'll tell you why uh, that is. So two weeks ago I spent two weeks in Mexico in the Sonora Desert uh, with a dear sister friend of your and mine, medicine woman, and we went out and spent time with the Seri people, uh, the Seri tribes, so the Comcac people who are the medicine holders of a, a sacred medicine that comes from their land. And we sat deep, profound ceremony out on a sacred island uh, there, which was an probably one of the most expansive experiences that I've ever had and still in the process of integrating that. And then on the 12th of November, so in a month's time, I'm headed off to Peru to go into the Amazon jungle for four weeks to work with uh, the Shipibo people and the particular curanderos or shaman and do a full shamanic initiation with plant medicines, various plant medicines, but a very, very intense uh, sitting with these medicines over a 26-day period. What's up for me, I already believe without um, knowing because we never know, is about identity. So I, I, am, I have a really strong identity. You know, I am mother, I am woman, I am technologist, I am um, a public speaker, I'm an author, I'm a a leader in technology, blah, 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 blah. And I have a very good life. You know, I have five great kids and a great partner and a great house. And like I'm 57 and, and like I've done, you know, beautifully well and I'm in full gratitude for that. But I'm fully attached to my identity. And I know that going into the jungle for a month will probably <laughs> will strip all that away. 
um, that is my sense. I, I know nothing about anything, so who knows. But And I'm shit scared of that. Like I even mention that to you now. I've, my stomach is churning. It's like, why would you do that? Like why would you want to go and be completely dismantled? But my view is, and and it's interesting, isn't it, because I'm 57, so once upon a time, this is the end of my life. You know, I would have done all these things, ticked the boxes, good life, thanks, everyone, you know, I'm, no, I'm yeah. off to the next round. But I've actually probably got 50 more years to go. Yeah. And it's like, well, sh- shit, I can't live. give up now. Yeah, you can live forever if you can live for the next 20 years. They. Yeah, and look, personally, don't want to live forever, but yeah. I've got 50 years and now my children are, are grown up and I'm in a position to actually be truly of service now that I've, you know, done all the hard yards, had all the trauma, done all the lessons um, of the first 57 years. It's now actually who am I? And, and I yeah. say it in, in this way, Troy, I, I think we have mind, ego, spirit and soul. And mm. mind, ego, and spirit have kind of been running the show for the first 50-odd years, mm-hmm. and now my soul is restless. It's like, okay. Come home. Come but home. Stay, stay in that form, but come home. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really don't know what will happen in the jungle or, mm. and, you know, I'm as excited as I am, terrified. I um I I acknowledge you and I appreciate you and I um, appreciate the journey that you're going on. I'm I'm a little bit jealous. I I'll say straight up, the thought of actually just going into the jungle and surrendering for me seems like a, a holiday I want to have. <laughs> but <laughs> um, under the guise of the, the medicine and the shaman shamans, I guess um, one of the things that came up when you were talking is like how ultimately to know ourselves and to feel that connection, to feel that wholeness is like happiness. People say happiness, but to feel that, like I am whole, I am, I am enough. I don't need these things. is something that I think is universal and we all, all crave and markets and um, industry would have us try to feel that sense of wholeness by buying their products. And this has fueled this technological explosion to some extent that we are in now, but it's at this same point, we're seeing this technology going exponential, like artificial intelligence, like um, anything going digital. Humans are heading into the digital space through the metaverse. That, um, yeah, that we um, see also like the psychedelics renaissance that's, that's, that's coming and that's helping people to strip away that veil, strip away that, that mind, body, and spirit, that sense of that mind, body, and spirit. And so that they can find there, like reconnect to that, that soul. Mm-hmm. And also we're seeing like a, the popularity around meditation becoming more mainstream as a, as a day-to-day tool to help with just general well-being. And, um, for me, meditation has been my go-to and it's been the single biggest thing that's helped me to really find myself but there's this convergence point is my point between technology exponential technology between consciousness and and humanity and um i think it's really freaking exciting you know if we get this right you know like if we if if humanity starts waking up and then we go oh we can use these technologies to like if we're already whole 
And then we, what would we use? What would we do with the technology then? What would we explore? What could we become if we weren't looking for that wholeness outside of ourselves? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great way to think. I, I have to think feel more into the concept of wholeness. Like, what is that? Because I work with a different concept, which um, you're also familiar with, which is concept of oneness. Mm. So, you know, if we recognise that we're actually just all one or one consciousness manifested in different human beings and manifested in, in plants and animals and the ocean and the sky and the mountains, then I think that's a profound shift in, in consciousness. And some of the particular medicines that I work with, uh, that I know you're familiar with as well, are really all centred around that, that concept of helping us move into this knowing of oneness, which is what most religions and, and uh, theologies kind of talk about. But until you've had an experience of what that is, it's all a bit like of a theory. So, so for me, it's, like recognizing the oneness that you are me, I am you, that we're all equal. There's absolutely no difference between us. That's the bit that I want humans to to start to recognize and to be open to. And and I think through some of these plant medicines, it's a it's a good access point to do that. Yeah, I think we we can't, we're talking about the same thing, just different words pointing to the same thing. Like for me. It's like that, I use the example of the singularity, that initial um, point of the Big Bang. Um, we were all whole then. We were all, everything that is was part of a whole. And then we went into separation and we've been evolving in separation since then. But essentially we're our whole. And so it's our ability to be able to feel that energy, to be able to, and that's what wholeness is for me. It's like, oh, I can feel that sense of connection to all things. And that mm. makes me feel whole. It makes me feel one, one again. So I feel like, yeah, we're pointing to the same thing. One thing I've become aware of during the, doing the work that I'm doing is that the wounds that we have and throughout adolescence, um, whether, you know, they, they're, they're numerous and they're individual, but they're numerous and, and our inability, our, the inability of our, our caregivers and our current systems to teach us how to actually process those emotional like traumas then so we compartmentalize them and we 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 bury them and we we resist feeling them um and it's in that we, we create all these resistance i don't want to feel that i don't want to feel that i don't know how to feel that and so we we, we block off our ability to be able to feel but as we work towards healing those and 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 being supported to actually feel that trauma that we were resisting then what we realize is on the other side of that is the energy. It's the wholeness, yeah. it's the oneness, it's the connection. So it's like in all that we've talked about, I feel like the biggest gift that we can be is to heal ourselves and, and do the work to actually go into those wounds that we were too scared to go into or we didn't even know that we had, that mm -hmm. maybe we were resisting. I don't want to feel that because it's, you know, I'd rather just bury that down, but that's the thing that's in the way. Not yeah. just for us individually, but humanity. Uh, I agree, and I believe that they, you have each individual has has to do that work. And the more work you do on journeying into those shadow, shadow sides of yourself or the trauma sides, 
and releasing the charge off of that creates you know a vacuum university mm. doesn't tolerate a vacuum and in in comes new things so whether it's new insight new path new purpose new vision uh, so it's not just about oh i'm going to clean up this wound so i don't continue to behave badly there's also that and you clean it out there's more room for expansiveness for beautiful new insightful expansion uh, to happen and I, I personally have done some big work on on you know sexual abuse trauma and all sorts of um, really really dark places that I just buried and you know journeyed through those to start to release them and of course it's a, it's always an on it's an ongoing um, journey but it's my experience that the more you do process and release the mm. more expansive you become and the better your life becomes yeah exactly exactly the big ones first ideally if you can get those out of the way that's then it. it gives you more space but they're the hard <laughs> ones and and it met like plant medicine is really powerful for that if you can do that in a safe way with a, a trained facilitator ideally in a, in a legal location somewhere in the world otherwise um internal family systems i'm, I'm yes. pretty sure you'll feel Very familiar. I feel like that's a, a really great system. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of success with that personally and with my clients. Also um, meditation, like mm -hmm. anything to be able to build a relationship with the narrative where you realize, oh, this, the, the more I sit in meditation, the more I realize I'm not that narrative. I'm, so what am yeah. I? And coming back to that, who am I question that yeah. you were asking yeah. before, that journey that you're on. I am. Um, I'm super excited to have a conversation with you off the back of your your trip to. Um, yeah, let's, let's do that. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for taking the time to tune in. Like technology is accelerating. Um, there's definitely huge uh, flags, and we need to proceed with caution. What would you say to people like to help them be part of the solution? Mm, yeah, great question. So I think there's some good things for uh, the audience to do. And, and one is to just start to learn more about technology, not, not to be fearful of it, not to think that it's um, inaccessible because there's tons of great things online, podcasts, et cetera, where you can just learn about whether it's AI or the metaverse or virtual reality, just, just tune in and listen to them. Um, you don't need to be technical to know that. So I think that's it. Second thing is to start to then figure out your own ethics around what you see going on. And, and uh, there's eight core ethical principles that we use in technology. And I won't go through all of them, but, but a number of them are, are around fairness. So, so the technology shouldn't be discriminating. It should be safe. It should be secure, private. It should have human centered valuables. It should be explainable. And if you see that in your organization or any technology you're using you think is not being done ethically or you notice your children are doing something that looks dangerous call it out just absolutely call it call it out on social media call it out with a tech platform it'll take all of us you know average humans in society to be calling this out to hold the tech giants um accountable so i think uh i invite everyone to step into being ethical leaders uh in this regard and then to just uh perhaps uh, I always say this to parents, right? So I, I get a lot of 
audience who have kids and they go, oh, my kid's on Roblox or my kid's a gamer and the kids, my kid's on this and I, I pull them off it and then they get angry and then there's a big fight and blah, blah, blah. But I think technology is a devil and it's dangerous. Well, I actually believe that young people need at least 10,000 hours of, of gaming or deep in technology in order to be masters who will be the problem solvers of the future. So I think kids need to be using technology and to be pretty deep in it. So then, and most parents like freak out when I say that, but I really mean it. What I think needs to happen is then the parents need to start to learn about the world that their kids are in. So the parents need to get augmented virtual reality, get onto Roblox, have a look around, not in a super creepy way that's going to creep your kids out or that you're monitoring them or stalking them, but just so you can learn about the world they're in because they will be your teachers going forward. If you want to know anything about metaverse, virtual reality, um, AI, your kids will be the ones who will be able to teach you easily at home. So become friends with your kids start to learn their worlds just the same way as the kid used to play soccer. So the parents, we used to go to the soccer field, we'd kick a ball around with them. It's no different. We need to do that in technology so our kids don't see the parents as irrelevant and uh, creepy and the kids start to develop a more healthy relationship in the family with technology being an integral part of it. Of course, we need the kids out in nature, eating yeah. healthy, doing exercise. Yeah, all of that, we need that as well. But we don't need to make the kids feel bad that they are deep in the technology. And my daughter just loves it. And she loves it. You know what she loves more is when I play it with her. When I play it with her. When I'm on mine and she's on hers. And then we, she, you know what she shows me around. And it, it's, I am blown away what she, mm -hmm. what she knows in there. But then, you know what, she, when she's not doing that, she wants to watch YouTube videos of other people doing it. And so she's just learning <laughs> Right out, right. like all about it and it's like yeah. i obviously boundaries like i don't let it do it like unregulated mm -hmm. un, um, but i think it's i think it's beautiful and, and i've learned a lot mm -hmm. from doing that personally and i'm right yeah, yeah it's exciting it's great and and so what about the uh the other side of things like the more the spiritual consciousness side of things any tips for people in that regard yes so i think it is there's a range of tools available to people that they can start to explore if they want to start to have a better self-awareness, understand better who, who is this, who am I, uh, start to have an expanded consciousness because I think we need that because really what we need is the human consciousness expansion at the same rate as the technology expansion. And right now the technology yeah. is like, racing ahead so i think yeah. you've mentioned some great ways so meditation absolutely essential mindfulness training which is slightly different to meditation absolutely essential uh yoga exercise movement dance so dance mm. is a big one singing is a big one so all of these things that we know traditional communities used to do and have very healthy rites of passage or have healthy um lives worth singing and dancing and meditating and praying and chanting you know we, we need to bring all of that back. Uh, I think lots of reading, there's so much great stuff now in, in books. So the one that I was just reading was Stealing Fire, which was about um, yep. state of ex ex ecstasis. So there's lots of good books, there's lots of good podcasts. And then for those, 
and it's not for everyone and as we said um, needs to be in countries where it's legal I do believe that uh, psychedelics and plant medicine can be profoundly healing as they say seven hours of plant medicine is like seven years of psychotherapy and with the whole psychedelic renaissance that's on foot at the moment we'll see more people starting to work with these tools or this technology this beautiful natural plant technology to start to help them evolve their consciousness i think it's a not for everyone and not in every country but it is a powerful tool and when it's done i i in an irresponsible way, there's definitely cautions for that, and they can actually harm people. But when done with under the guidance of a professional, it can be absolutely profound. I know um, like there's different organisations throughout the world that have been leading research and leading uh, the movement to help change legislations, and we're seeing a big shift in the US in different states, um, decriminalising and in and different types of psychedelics. In Australia, there's um, Mind Medicine Australia have been lobbying the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Association, to, to reschedule psilocybin, the mushroom, magic mushroom, and MDMA for PTSD and depression, which in research have had significant, there's significant evidence to, to show the, that the profound implications of the profound benefits of these um, medicines, these psychedelics. And so, it is happening, but it's a, it's a slow-turning wheel. There's a lot of um, levers pulling from government to industry, established industry like the psychod- uh, pharmaceutical industry. There's the, obviously, um, researchers. There's, it needs to happen at a, at a, at a gentle pace. But, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks, Kat. I appreciate you taking the time to jump on a call and have a conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to tuning in with you again, hopefully on the other side of Peru. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for being a brother. Thanks for the work that you do in both the technology and the consciousness field. And I know some of the people that you're working with and they're having profound life changes based on your wisdom, your gentleness, your um, technical know-how. So thank you for your good work. Thanks. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you and I really do love it. It's, I really do help loving bringing people into wholeness, into oneness, and just knowing that's who we ultimately are. That's, that's the work. What's up? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Two Paths Podcast is a production of I Am Connected, a digital platform dedicated to the evolution of consciousness. Check us out at IamConnected.com.